Hey, everybody. I'm Roy Underhill, and I teach traditional woodworking. I'm here in the Piedmont of North Carolina, and welcome to Cut the Craft. Today was a day of three, three firsts for me. Well, ah. within the last, like, ten minutes. Um, it was the first time I've ever forgot my microphone to an interview. It was... <laughs> <laughs> the first time I've ever run three red lights. Oh, and, oh. all right. It's a college town and it's a Saturday morning. So there's nobody in town. It's just a total ghost town right now. <laughs> Everyone's still asleep. Um, and then the third thing was I've never sprinted in Crocs before. Uh, <laughs> so that was really cool, too. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know which is worse, wearing uh, Crocs or running a red light. <laughs> yes. But uh, uh, my calves will tell tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, so anyway, sorry, this is the way I had to meet you, but it's really nice to meet you. <laughs> well, my pleasure. They were doing construction outside your house, you say? Yeah, they've been, they're rerouting a river that runs under the streets. What? and. Which is a pretty amazing feat of like civil engineering and stuff, I guess. What about, have you thought about trying to get them to liberate the river? Uh, they're doing that in London. Uh, a lot of them oh. were put underground and uh, they're saying, you know, let this river free again. What? I That's mean, awesome. I would be all about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, should we go ahead and get started? I know we're... Yeah. Uh, Y'all sure. have been talking for a little while while you were waiting on me to yeah. rectify well, my wrong it deeds. It wasn't too bad. We talked about um, falling water, which is... Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Like the Frank Lloyd Wright house? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty, pretty now, close nice. to me, actually, Brian. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty, well, Brian... If you will let that river free, you could be living in falling water. Because <laughs> it's like really, it's right in front of my house. Like there the you go. What? It needs to be yeah. under your house. That would be so cool. <laughs> that would be awesome. Or even if I could just like somehow build a tunnel from my basement to connect, and then I could just have access to a cool little like, underground Ninja Turtle network. Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Oh, it just oh. takes imagination. <laughs> well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And I'm Roy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still Roy. All right. Yeah, still, still, Roy. still Roy. Yeah. Okay. Roy, for someone unfamiliar with your work, can you describe what you make and then maybe how you fit within your own field for those who are woodworkers? already. Mm, okay. I make, uh, I've been thinking about this. What do I make? I make in, uh, enthusiasm, I hope, <laughs> as the ultimate, well, really as the ultimate uh, product, because I've uh, almost exclusively now a teacher and I produce uh, television and media and, uh, uh, but mainly classes now on traditional woodworking. Uh, uh, from lots of historical periods, but mainly from the golden age of uh, hand tool woodworking uh, mm. in the late 19th century. And gosh, where it fit in among others, uh, uh, work on, you know what, the best way to explain it is like the folks who do uh, early music on the original instruments. Uh, mm. That's what I do. We, we, uh, it's the process mm. is what's important to me. Uh, not nearly the product. 
so I don't make anything to sell. Uh, I just really try and get how this was done originally. And the products that come out are, uh, they should have a really close uh, texture to uh, the original work from that whatever time period we're working on. Mm. So. Yeah, that's really good. Recently, I was talking to someone and they sort of asked me in my own terms, like how I would describe my, I guess, role in the bookbinding community, mm-hmm. which I thought was like a really hard question to answer because I don't really know like how I'm, you know, perceived by others. And stuff. <laughs> right. if, if I had to define it myself, I, I, I describe myself as like the hype man for like bookbinding. <laughs> like I, just, <laughs> I just try to get people pumped about it and yeah. ex- as excited as I am and try to share what it is that I really like. So I really connected with what you said, where it was like, at this point, my main product is just enthusiasm. <laughs> well, it's so funny. You know, one of the earliest uh, how-to programs I saw, I think it was out of GBH Boston. It was called In a Bind. And no it was, way. A, yeah, it was a program. It was way, you know, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, a how-to program on book binding. I said, what? what? You know, I said, well, uh, it's called in a bind. Yep. It that's the way it was. I don't know if there's any way to find it now. Uh, I'm looking but, it up right now. Cause I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I looked at that and said, well, dang, you know, how esoteric is what I'm doing? Uh, you know, we've got book binding television. Now we're talking. Wow. <laughs> this is that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in fact, it was marbling paper, marbling uh, end papers. Right on, and, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, oh, that's great. Wow. <laughs> I think marbling paper was the first time I ever saw magic happen in real life. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It's uh, yeah. Well, I'm not finding anything right now, but if anyone, if any of our listeners knows about this show, and I'm personally very curious to know who was doing it. Uh, Please let us know. <laughs> the crap podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so, uh, Roy, how did you get into woodworking? You know, I guess woodworking got into me uh, when I was born because uh, I think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's so deep in everybody. Uh, you're you're just born knowing it and wanting to do it, uh, and and I mean that. I think it's. Uh, an evolutionary thing. We evolved our intellect, our understanding of how to uh, exist in the world uh, was kind of taught to us by working wood. Uh, Hmm. uh, You know, you find the structure in the grain, uh, you know, you find out that the world has uh, material that you can manipulate uh, if you understand it. And, I think that really shaped human intelligence. Uh, and so, but, you know, I started when, like, I was a kid. Uh, so it's not how I got into it. I think everybody's into it. It's, it's uh, uh, almost like, you know, what drove you away from it uh, in your life? What, what, where did you get off the path? You know, <laughs> what messed you up? Maybe yeah. we should rephrase that question. Yeah. yeah. What, what kept you away from what you've been wanting to do the whole time for yeah. the first 18 years of your life? Or how did, yeah. How did you survive? Yeah. No. And, and in fact, I'm very lucky, uh, uh, that I did not, uh, 
have something else, some other means of employment that pulled me away from uh, what I love doing, which is mm. just making things. Mm. Mm-hmm. So did when you kind of just keep going straight into that? I mean, from doing it kind of like a, as a kid or whatever? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, and even all through college, I worked in uh, the scene shop and uh, built, uh, you know, was hired as a, a tech assistant there in, in, with the university theater uh, making props, uh, building sets. And uh, then after college went to, um, oh gosh, you know, this is all that back to the land time and uh, mm-hmm. uh, skill in woodworking and uh, being able to work off the grid <laughs> made a big difference mm-hmm. up in the mountains mm-hmm. of New Mexico in uh, the 1970s. Uh, uh, you know, so just living way up there on, on the alleged commune. So. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I just like yeah. the insert of alleged. No, what? 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 Tell what? us about the alleged commune. Well, you know, it's whether people. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, uh, how the the degree to which people wanted to pitch together uh, mm. in, in different uh, communities is 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 quite varied. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to have more of a. Um, communal effort in the way uh, we were living uh, up in this little mountain valley and others did not Uh, (laughs) you know that's always a debate you know that's that's the national debate right now uh Mm. how much uh, you want to work together and how much you want to just be uh every every person for themselves so Mm -hmm. yeah and so that's why i say alleged uh because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it brings up, you think of a, a commune as being um, communal, <laughs> and they are to varying degrees, you know, uh, and this one was not to a great degree. So that's all right. That's Fair all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the way it goes, I think, kind of. Sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, we have to, <laughs> got to figure some way to live together. Right, right. Turns out. Um, also, was I hearing... Are you familiar with the um, the Bruce Metcalf article, "The Hand at the Heart of Craft"? No, <laughs> why? Uh oh. Well, uh, just when you were when you were talking about the um, when you're talking about sort of like how the hand has affected human development over uh, over the years. That's yeah. uh, he gets really in deep into that, and we uh. recorded. Uh, Pretty early on when we started the podcast, we did like a little excerpt from, or no, we read the whole thing. Didn't you read the whole thing, Amy? No, I don't think so. It was it was going to be like really, really long if I did that, I think. Right. That's true. Okay. A few yeah. pages of then um, the Bruce Metcalf article, The Hand at the... Hand at the heart of crap. Oh, I feel so ignorant. No, I'm no, sorry. I didn't mean, no, I didn't mean it like that at all. <laughs> and what I do with these books, I give them to uh, friends and then, you know, ask them about it. Uh, <laughs> I love that technique. Later. Uh, but no, it's, it's terrible. Uh, and, you know, it may be the, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? The narcissism of small differences. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get uh, irritated when I start reading other people's uh, take on this. I say, well, you know, what is he? No, no, no. You know, but, you know, we're real close in what we're doing. That's what makes us uh, 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 irritable with each other. <laughs> You're holding yeah. a draw knife that way? Are you? Yeah. Cra- you know. <laughs> right. You got to change yeah. the channel from in a bind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. So that's a, 
<laughs> okay. No, I was just I was just curious. It was um uh it just seemed like there was a lot of overlap and in many ways I find that even more inspiring that you know it's not just like coming from one person. But it does like really kind of help you reevaluate you and your surroundings, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I you know, a lot of this is uh, the evolutionary psychology has uh just really opened up a a world in another part of the craft, you know, we're talking about evolutionary, I guess, technology or, you know, uh, I should say, well, it's all psychology, isn't it? But in any case, uh, when you're teaching, uh, what guides you is evolutionary psychology. What, why does the brain work the way it does? Why is it hungry for knowledge? Hmm. And how do you satisfy that instead of frustrate it? by giving uh, the brain good work to do. Well, all that's based on evolutionary uh, psychology. Why did we survive as a species? Uh, uh, well, because we were curious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and those who were curious, uh, you know, survive. They learn new things, and they, uh, <laughs> they we're, their ans- we're their descendants. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. So when you're teaching, you know, you're, that's what you're following. And uh, uh, it just, you know, stands to reason that uh, the work we did uh, early in our uh, evolution with uh, the materials of nature has shaped us mm-hmm. as we shaped it. Yeah. In yeah. fact, it, this has been a, a, revel, a revelation uh, to me. I, you know, it used to be. I, you know, I, I have my school and I have 10 work, work benches and I set out the wood on each bench and all the tools are there and all that stuff. And I'm got every, you know, I'm looking around the room, getting ready uh, for the students to arrive. And, you know, I used to think, uh, you know, say, OK, now what are they going to do to this again? They're going to make this into a da da da. You know, they're going to learn to do that. And. You know, all the, you know, slowly I started thinking as I looked at the wood on the bench, I say, what is this wood going to make that student into? In other words, instead of how are they going to change the wood? How is this piece of wood going to change them? Look at this one. This has a knot. This one has diving grain. Uh, this, you know, this one has a problem here. But how will, how will this play out uh, so what will the wood teach? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so good. It's I really love good. that. Yeah. It's great. It, it's a real revelation to me. Right. And, and I mean, you really, to use a really terrible trope, like you've really hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> I'm cringing while I say that. Um, oh, but- man. <laughs> so so don't hang up on us don't hang up um no 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 i'm here <laughs> <laughs> the john c campbell folk schools classes have resumed and they also have lots of scholarship opportunities you can browse their e-catalog to see current course offerings request a print catalog register for classes and apply for scholarships all at folkschool.org once again that's folkschool.org Our sponsor, North House Folk School, teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior. New courses for this fall and winter are open now for registration, from blacksmithing to birch bark and weaving to woodworking of all sorts. 
Visit northhouse.org for more information. The things that you make kind of make you in a certain respect. And it's that like acquiring skill and then applying it to a thing that teaches you more about yourself. And I think that, mm-hmm. and even, you know, helps create a feeling of, you know, just sort of self-esteem and like you could take care of yourself in a certain way. And when you make you that a concrete, oh, yeah. yeah, when you make it like a concrete part of your life, um, that is, yeah. you know, practical and, and shows up every day, then it makes a huge impact on people. And I think that's, you're totally right. It's like, uh, what is the material going to teach the person? I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Totally. Yeah. When I see them uh, finish something and that look on their face and that uh, confidence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. connection, mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're seeing the connection with something very ancient and deep within them that they've been missing. Mm-hmm. And now that now they've got it, and boy, what a what a reward! It's great. Mm-hmm. You got people who've been uh, divorced from this for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh you my put gosh. them back in touch. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, that was that was great. <laughs> uh, so, like over the course of your career as a woodworker and a teacher, have you seen? Any changes in the interest in hand-powered woodworking? Mm. And then what do you think has contributed to those changes? It's funny. I don't know if there is more interest, uh, but I believe there is. Mm. Uh, The difference, of course, what's changed is uh, exactly the medium we're using right now. The internet has allowed uh, small communities to thrive and small uh, Mm. businesses to communicate. Uh, their, uh, you know, chair-making tools uh, are available and you know know where to get them if you're making chairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that has made a huge difference. Now, I don't know if the great number of people uh, involved and interested in this, in uh, the traditional hand, but their ability to uh, communicate and exercise the craft and get resources from each other as has really uh, gone up and <laughs> ironically because mm-hmm. of the internet yeah. but you know that's yeah what a great world uh, that, uh, that we have that um, that connection amongst each other but I do think uh, uh, this when I started the Woodwrights shop on television uh, and you know 40 years ago uh The idea, the concept was that it was set in the future, not in the past. And yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) that uh, people had wised up and they're stopped uh, wasting, you know, wasting the planet and using their muscles like they were supposed to. Mm. And uh, you know, just living better. So, you know, this is kind of that Woodstock nation uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> fantasy, <laughs> you know, of everybody's going to be doing handcraft in the future. And this goes back, you know, Ruskin, the same thing, uh, turn of the century in the arts and crafts movement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not, uh, I don't believe it's a thing of the past. I really think it's uh, the, the way of tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. much better. So, mm-hmm. 
if that uh, <laughs> if that being my hope, I sure hope uh, it's grown more interest in the hand powered woodworking, mm-hmm. and it has. Yeah, yeah, we're winning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I've I've heard a lot of people or a lot of people kind of ask. I think about like, does there seem to be more interest in, in this? Or at least I've heard that a lot within bookbinding and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't really know. And if you can think of any kind of good like metrics by which to actually learn about that, other than trying to look at like how many people claim that on their tax code or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but it would, yeah, it would just be interesting. I mean, the only thing Amy and I could think of had to do with the number of craft schools um right keep popping up i mean craft and folk schools and right i mean you have one so i mean there's yeah. another one <laughs> yeah well that's uh i think it was uh the way i heard it it was the president of ikea of all things he said look we have reached peak stuff nobody needs any more stuff we got enough mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. what people want is experience Totally. That's what we're missing. And so it's, you know, this is an old thing, the experience economy. Uh, Amy, I think you were at the Greenwood Fest, indeed, weren't you? Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so this is hundreds of people gathered to carve spoons. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, last I checked, there was not a spoon shortage. You know, quick, we've got to gather and carve spoons Uh, because otherwise we won't be able to have soup and then what's going to happen, you know. So, you know, what need is that spoon carving fulfilling, uh, you know, something Mm -hmm. obviously very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, those... You know, it's but it's not only the experience for the person carving that spoon. Once that spoon is out in the world, that hand-carved wooden spoon is a little warrior, a little mm. subversive agent out in the world saying, look, I was made by hand. Look at the <laughs> texture on me. Look at the... Look at the. Uh, do, you, do you see how uh, the grain and that little knot there? How the cuts go around it? That was consciousness applied to my specific nature. <laughs> That's awesome. See, you know, yeah, they're out <laughs> wow. there and they're subverting this. You know, the consumerist uh, manufactured world. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's great. Uh, I love that. Were <laughs> Just keep going. A bunch of tiny little middle fingers marching around. Yeah, well, little uh, little hand carps. But yeah, and yeah. you think of the hand hand bound book. Uh, all That's these true. things are, are are little subversive agents changing uh, people's assumptions about the world. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, so. Oh. Why are you so interested in the golden age of woodworking? Uh, well, well, part of it is I worked at uh, in a history museum at Colonial Williamsburg where we were mm. uh, working on 18th century. Uh, and, and it's got to be right. You know, you can't have uh, spiral augers, uh, twist augers. That, you know, they haven't mm. been invented yet. And oh, they don't yeah. come around until 1810. Uh, you would... So you've got to know, uh, you know, here's what the historical stuff, uh, uh, part of it, it's uh, the rules of the game. Uh, It's what makes it interesting. 
to get it uh, as right as you can, uh, you, you've, <laughs> you've got to know. You can't uh, fake it. So uh, if you're not uh, having a, it, it makes the game more interesting uh, to me. Uh, so it's like having, uh, you know, some people say, uh, you know, without those rules, it's like tennis without a net. You know, you know, <laughs> or no boundaries. Right. Uh, it's Calvin Ball. Uh, Ooh, Calvin yeah. Ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, having those rules makes it uh, 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 more interesting uh, to me. And also it has, uh, gosh, well, let me uh, divert. Can I diverge for a second here? Uh, of course, you know, yeah. where I <laughs> live. Uh, the historical and the cultural background of this uh, uh, has a lot of uh, political influence uh, today. Uh, one of the things we worked on uh, was the work of African-American enslaved artisans in 18th century America. Mm. And getting it right now, brutal stuff, but yeah, the... Uh, yeah skilled laborers, the skilled work that was done by enslaved people uh, just deserves respect. And that's, you know, you think about what people were doing. Uh, there's a lot to culture. Uh, there's music, there's stories, there's song, but mainly what people are doing is working. And that's a part of a culture that, uh, you know, to me deserves respect accuracy and uh, nothing nothing more than that just plain respect uh, which means honoring the uh, understanding that the uh, folks had uh, in how they transform nature into culture mm. uh, so misrepresent that misrepresent that and you're misrepresenting the people you know, mm -hmm. and so getting it right uh, it means a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, a website now. I mean, it's an organization, but it's the um, I want to say it's the Black Craftspeople Digital Archive. Ah, it's it's something that I've just seen in the last, or I came across last, you know, beginning last spring. And um, but yeah, it's they're doing just that with they're going through all of the historical paper records and recording the names and thus you can also get a sense of the geography and movement of these artisans as they're going, you know, a lot of them it's focused kind of in the Southeast and um, anyway, but yeah, that's a, a really cool uh, record that they're building an online catalog. That's super searchable and stuff. So I'm mm -hmm. hoping that they're going to be really neat. Cause a lot of that research will be just sort of available to then be, properly uh integrated and recognized for you know the work that yeah that, that black art crafts people have done over all of those centuries of enslavement mm -hmm. so yeah that's the, the unknown artisan yeah yeah here's the bare bones of what you'll hear flesh it out like intertwining thread as you yourself compose the body in your mind through your own body from the ears he comes from a family of magicians, a family of dancers, weavers, and dyers. There's dying, and then there's dying. Only difference being E 
E! The joyful cry. The letter, they say, may have come from a Semitic pictograph of a window or a fence, or an Egyptian hieroglyphics as a human with upraised arms, living large, walking the earth. Weaving is a movement to walking with the cloth. He was born wearing the gift of making textiles never intended to be rugs, but garbed to be walked with on, not walked on. Learning weaves the mind, establishes one's art through the cultures and peoples which establish you. Dying naturally, becoming a process of using colors and materials the earth produces. Dying naturally, meaning wearing well what life provides, embodying the interplay of was and are. His name is Porfirio Gutierrez, and he shares how materials don't work in ideologies but do work and have been born and show their birth in their living representations. Do you honor your movement, your hydration, how your senses digest information? Do you need a good jolt of lightning? Your identity is wrapped up in the traditions you have lived whether or not you're aware of all of them, and they weave you into the tapestry which is your core. Borders are drawn lines speaking to both sides, the threads that tie and bind. What do you say when you speak? How does that speak to what you do? How are you doing? And what does that say about you? Everything is concrete, metaphorically and literally. Hear him in next time. For you then, though, at that time, I mean, because there are a lot of eras of historical woodworking, um, though, and of course, I guess your focus, it makes sense, it would have been 18, 18th century then in oh, yeah, for, Williamsburg? For Williamsburg, yeah, late okay. 18th century, yeah. But then you said your focus is currently, or your main interest is more, the, you know, about 100 years later, right? Right. Well, that's what I teach, because it's easier for uh, uh, folks <laughs> to get the tools. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. 19th century tools are easily available, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they... Uh, it just makes it easier uh, for the students to have an entryway into that. Uh, but yeah, I get the, uh, you know, there are folks who are into medieval woodworking uh, yeah. uh, and uh, Civil War woodwork. You know, they just have lots of uh, special uh, special interests that folks have uh, really narrowed it down. Yeah. But I, f- I find, yeah, the the. Iron planes with the uh, adjusting screws are, are just mm-hmm. easier for students to get a grip on uh, 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 on operating than uh, the type that you adjust with a wooden mallet. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Tap, tap, up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they can get, you know, they can have success early on and that's it. You got to have, uh, as part, part of it, you want to give people a challenge that's enough of them uh, to help them grow, but not enough to... Uh, frustrate them right <laughs> like, like something yeah. that's still hard but achievable yeah, exactly right. exactly yeah. yeah so you know and that's kind of uh uh you know <laughs> tolstoy <laughs> made, uh, <laughs> made uh fun of that but uh you know still that's that's where you need folks to be when they're when they're learning hmm. so uh, let's see here. We have one question about the Woodwright shop. Uh, did, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had to. <laughs> we had yeah. to. Uh, did your experiences 
teaching in like through the uh, Woodwright shop influence your work at all? And if so, how, how did it do that? Uh, So the Woodwright shop uh, television series, it was on PBS for uh, 37 years. Gosh. Yeah. 37 years. Um, And uh, it was all always one shot uh, live four camera live edits uh, and one take because uh, they made it cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they people at PBS told me uh, it was cheaper to run the Woodwright shop than it was to run the test pattern. So wow. they would, but <laughs> cheaper than bars and tone, one person put it. So, uh, yeah. So th- that forced me into, uh, you know, the, thinking how do you get 21 you know put everything into that package of 21 minutes but at the same time uh of learning that that craft of fitting the television and uh which is mainly the craft of delivering steady close-ups to the to the videographers uh, that's that's your main job. Just deliver those close-ups uh, that they can get. So is that like like angling your body and hands in such a way so that they can just zoom in on and see what's going exactly on? whatever it takes to get the to allow uh, the person operating the close-up camera to get their shot. That's what your job is. Uh, so if you can uh, do that, you're you're there. <laughs> but I learned also, I do a lot of live, pres- and always have been, doing a lot of live presentations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And boy, I learned something about the craft uh, the hard way. Uh, if you're doing <laughs> live uh, with a big audience, you have uh, you can do satire. You can make satirical comments, things that uh, you don't mean, <laughs> for example. Uh, because... I, you know, I would I would commonly talk about how oh the stupid you know, the, the Europeans what you know what a bunch of they put their <laughs> mountains on east west and here comes the ice ages and it wiped out half of the tree species in Europe. Now Americans, we think ahead, we plan ahead, we put our mountains on north south. So when the ice ages came, our trees survived. Why? Because we're Americans and we plan ahead. All right. So you guys are laughing now. Okay. but And that cues other folks who think, my God, is he serious? Yeah. You have cued folks that I'm being facetious. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, being, making a satirical comment. Yeah. And that works in a live audience. However, that same thing said on television, yeah, where there's no, uh, no reference, there's not you know, a hundred people around you and right. 89, per, you know, most of them are laughing mm-hmm. that cues you. Oh, he's not being serious right now. People will take that serious. And I get, you know, said that on television once and people say, what do you mean the Europeans are so stupid? They didn't put their mountains on the right way. They were, the mountains were there way before people, you know, they thought it was serious. <laughs> I know. But that's the nature, the difference between live and television. That's why they put laugh tracks <laughs> Right. Let you know it's just a joke, folks. They're Let you know serious. it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, I was trying to make a a, a joke on jingoistic American uh, freedom fry, you know, uh, stuff. And uh, this thought is serious. 
So, boy, you got to know your medium. If you're working yeah. in clay, you're working in wood, you're working in, in textiles or, or book, you know, you got to know, or television or live, you got to know your medium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. did that, I mean, if you're cramming everything into to 20 minutes, is the, and you said live edit, so I know this might be getting a little too into the technical aspect of it, but they're more or less like you're 30 seconds ahead of them or something like that, or... Uh, no, well, it's going down on tape, and so it'll be uh, done later. But live edits, uh, the director is watching, and he's oh. uh, uh, editing as we go. So he's saying, uh, uh, all right, get ready, camera one, tighten up camera one, mm -hmm. a little to the left. Okay, take camera one, and that means camera one is now going down on the master tape. Mm, okay. Hold steady one. All right. Pull out one, ready two. So he's telling camera two to get ready on the wide shot. Ready to take two. Take camera two, no, they know that uh, they're being taken. So that means it's all done uh, on a piece of uh, tape or on a magnetic media somewhere. It's all done uh, when it's over. It's live uh, and it's edited and it's just put it in the can and send it to PBS. Whoa, wow. that's crazy. Yeah, so it's cheap. Uh, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. Uh, the director kept yelling, cut, cut, and I didn't know what he meant. And I kept cutting my hand as thinking it was the entertainment value he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. But, you know, I, it's true. I'm, I'm joking, folks. But nevertheless, <laughs> the, you know, I got the reputation. Oh, he's the guy who cuts himself all the time. Well, yeah, because it, <laughs> it was such a rush and we get one shot. You know, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it puts you in, in it's, a, it's a frenzy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did that, I mean, teach you sort of, I guess what I'm trying to get at is in terms of your relationship to working with wood, I mean, did it kind of really get your eyes better at like um, evaluate or your senses better at evaluating a piece of wood? Because I'm, I'm assuming you were selecting all your own pieces to then bring on oh, yeah. set to work, right? So, yeah, I got to work fast. And you got to make sure that there aren't as many surprises in there, or you have oh, to get so. better at adjusting to those surprises, right? Quite Is that so. correct? Ab okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I also I had another lesson I uh, learned uh, besides just, uh, you know, work being able to work quick, evaluate, should I do this? Should I do that uh, at this point? Uh I learned to work to about uh, 320 lines per inch resolution in the early days of the show. Uh, uh, and then, of course, came high def. Now, high definition television is not your friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it shows everything. And I thought, holy cow, you know, people thought, oh, gosh, this guy's really good. Well, that was back in the days of low def television. I was really good. Uh, <laughs> As soon as they start see, you know, seeing high def, they say, oh, yeah. uh, uh, here, uh, uh, let me give you an example of, and this, this actually happened. Um, I was demonstrating somewhere live and uh, showing uh, my work and, uh, you know, I guess who knows what I was making. But uh, somebody came up and was watching me and they were looking more and more confused. They were looking at my work. They were looking at uh, the way I was working. They looked at me. And I saw this 
light of revelation come on his face. And he says, oh, I get it. You're not good. You're just on television. Oh. <laughs> oh. Holy, holy cow. Holy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, I, I knew exactly what he meant. You know, I'm not doing fine woodworking. I'm just working fast. And I'm, uh, you know, working uh, to uh, large audiences uh, that... Um, Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, and he was so embarrassed. You know, he said, oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. And I said, no, no, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> uh, because there are folks, you know, and, I, and I, I've got, in my own defense, let me say I can be real. I can be pretty darn good, but uh, I don't do it. Uh, it's, 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 it's tough. Every yeah. punk with a Stanley 45 gunning for me. Uh, trying to <laughs> take out the wood guy. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. So with all your experience with different types of woodworking and for, you know, having the the career you've had, what sort of projects still get you excited? Like, what keeps you interested? Well, every uh, student... Every student is a new project, uh, mm. so uh, they're working with them and adapting and adjusting to them uh, mm -hmm. and their needs. It's always exciting because it's as, it's much more it's dip more different than the grain of the wood. I can get pretty <laughs> pretty consistent uh, <laughs> material for them to work with, but if you think of the individual students as as uh, material, you know, with their needs to get them to a certain point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's endlessly fascinating. And uh, people are wired in such uh, endlessly uh, varied ways. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, you never know what you're going to get. Or when you're going to get it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it always interests me. And uh uh, with the people uh, in terms of projects, uh, that is one thing I've had to do also with television, uh, you know, and turning out uh, these episode thirteen episodes uh, a year for thirty seven years. You know, you got to have something new each time, mm. and uh, so I've been sure have been bouncing around a lot. So uh, there's a lot of new things, but, you know, coming back to it and refining your skills and correcting your misunderstandings uh, make, makes it all new again. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. No complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Do you make anything for yourself, like in your house or? Uh, we live in an old mill, a, three-story mill over a uh, waterfall uh so yeah so it's a it was a uh a wood shop you know in the 19th century it was a wood shop a, a, a grist mill a uh cotton gin uh so it was a really a community industrial center it's this three-story wooden building uh over the dam and the waterfall well, the floodgates blew out the other day. Uh, oh. They hadn't been changed in 20 years, these wooden floodgates. And, yeah, and one of them blew in, and boy, it was like, you know, just this incredible uh, oh. torrent 
terrifying torrent of water uh, going through where the floodgate uh, blew out. So I'm doing some, you know, heavy work uh, uh, <laughs> building floodgates. <laughs> yeah, I'll be putting them in over the next day or so. Uh, wow. Uh, driving them in. So uh, that, you know, that's not fine woodworking uh, at all. <laughs> it's crude. <laughs> uh, but uh, it better be sturdy woodworking, that's for sure. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah so I do that. And then uh, I'll be making, uh, we're doing a class, uh, a Zoom class next week on uh, um, making drawers, uh, dovetail drawers, and the, the technique of how you make a table uh, and dovetailing the frame around where the drawers go in to keep it strong in a a small table with drawers in it. So that'll be for the house too. I'll, we'll keep that. Cool. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask, I was wondering what happened with like your, I guess your demo pieces and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that makes sense. <laughs> I have a lot of demo pieces. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we heat the house with dovetailed wood. Uh, uh, no kidding. That's so good. <laughs> oh. Oh. Our sponsor, North Bennett Street School in Boston, Massachusetts, is still taking applications for their nine full-time training programs, and the fall semester begins September 13th. View all of their programs, including cabinet and furniture making, at nbss.edu programs, and learn how to apply and find financial aid options at nbss.edu admissions. So like you, my dad has a mustache and actually I've never seen him without a mustache. So, oh. um, and he's, he's also a woodworker. Do you have to have a mustache to be a woodworker or be a woodworker to have a mustache? Oh, let's see. Do you have to have, I think you have to have it to be a woodworker or a firefighter. Oh, yeah. No, you yeah. gotta have the mustache if you're going to be a woodworker. Uh, cause otherwise <laughs> here, listen, you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, you can't dust off the, the the saw cut if you don't have a mustache. So, <laughs> so you definitely need it. Yeah, right. Absolutely, it's integral right. part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, what about woodworking satisfies something you don't feel you'd get from another job? Like, is there a difference in teaching from any other job you've had? Uh, and then maybe what are some of the challenges? I've always uh, thought it's a it's a for me it's a good field because I can make uh, contributions uh, in this uh, small area that would uh, be tough to do. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, everybody wants to contribute, and this is a place where I can contribute uh, mm -hmm. to the knowledge, uh, to uh, the understanding, uh, or to the questions. Uh, about this. Uh, say I was in another field, uh, I would want that to be there, uh, my ability to do that. Uh, so maybe it's the position in the uh, crap, say, say like we were doing some kind of uh, medical research, I would want to be in a position where I could uh, raise questions, ask questions, and you know answer some uh, at, you know, as a part of that field. And I can do that, uh, you know, with this uh, hand and traditional woodworking. 
Mm. Uh, but so that's a big part of it. But you know, that's just again, that's for me. I know everybody wants that in whatever field they're in. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, carving or a painting or you know, bookbinding. Mm-hmm. You want to be uh, moving that along, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something I can do. So uh, I also like, uh, you know, you, I mean, you got to like wood. It's 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 there. It grows on trees. Uh, it floats down the river, and you pull it out, and you make something out of it. And it, uh, you learn to read it and uh, be a partner with it, and say what does it want to be. Uh, so it opens you up and takes you out of yourself. Uh, but there are lots of crafts that do that. This one does this it for me. So I'm sure it's uh, just pretty personal. What would you say, yeah. kind of going to the second part of that question, then like what are some of the, I guess, the challenges along the way of kind of making it work? I mean, it seems like you've at the very least had a very, um, even though it's all been within woodworking, it's been extremely varied. I mean, whether you were sitting down and writing books or uh, on television or, you know, teaching workshops. It's like you've done so many different things. And is there sort of like that also maybe a response to some, like how to make this life work kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, When I started out, I was uh, making uh, wooden rakes and chairs and, uh, Hmm. Uh, you know, various things, uh, <laughs> shoulder yokes uh, for, car- you know, mm-hmm. like for carrying milk buckets, right? Yeah. Uh, not a lot of demand. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For for wooden rakes and uh, and shoulder yokes and you know, carved <laughs> wooden bowls. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to work so you know working by hand, and you're competing with machine made uh, items and stuff like that. That pushed me towards uh, the teaching. Uh, end of it. Uh, the folks I admire the most, uh, just g- so much, are, are folks who are still making, selling, producing, and teaching. Uh, you look at uh, Curtis mm. uh, Buchanan or Chris Schwartz or Alia Bazzari, or mm. Peter Ross, uh, the blacksmith. Uh, they combine their teaching with actual production, and I think that makes them the best teachers. Uh, mm. You know, you got, uh, and which I don't do. I'm I only teach, really. Mm-hmm. So, that's a challenge. I think the uh, the market uh, is a cha- is is a challenge for me. But uh, I'm I'm, ha- I, I'm doing what I want to do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's important. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. So yeah. So why would that? Well, you know, why would that be a challenge? Uh, I bet, you know, now that you say that, I bet it's a challenge just because I think, well, oh, these folks are better than me. They're able no. to sell the, you know. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the challenge is to say, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that is a, I mean, that that's a huge part of it, though, is I think there's a tendency just in humans in general where once they've, you know, you could set out this list of goals, achieve every single one of them. And then after a little while, you start getting the itch to look around and be like, but how could it be a little bit better? And Mm -hmm. I think it really is a skill to be like, no, I have what I need. And, you know, 
how can I then maybe turn that so that other people can get what they need or so that I can provide an avenue for people to be able to have those types of moments and be able to make those decisions for themselves too. But I just, I've, I wanted for so long to work for myself. And then now that I have been able to, for the last few years, you know, then I still start, find myself tending towards being like, well, this is getting really hard and like blah, 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 blah. And then I'm just like, wait, I chose all of this and I get to do it still. Like, you just need to be okay about that. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. So. That's funny. Yeah, you think you're working by yourself, but, you know, you're always looking at everybody else and saying, uh, Mm -hmm. comparing yourself to them. Uh, Yeah. mm -hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. But, yeah. Uh, so uh, you touched on this already, uh, but is there someone inside of woodworking that you admire or a type of person and then maybe outside of woodworking? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I do admire the folks who are uh, selling and teaching at, uh, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, that's, a, that's a great thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it's something I, I, you know, I admire it because it's something I, I don't do, can't do. <laughs> so, is that is um, that coming from like a, from, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, where's that sort of coming from? Or why does it just seem like more authentic to an extent? Or what is that? Yeah, why is yeah, there a sort yeah, of... Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, even historically, uh, it's very hard to replicate uh historical work without the economic pressure that Mm. was on the workmen at the time when they were actually competing in a market. Uh, And the things that are left finished or unfinished, uh, Mm -hmm. polished or unpolished, uh, you know, smooth or rough, uh, those are economic decisions. Every bit of work takes time and if time is not money in making something, uh, you're not really playing the game uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of trying to replicate that historical work. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've got to make things for the market if you want to be, uh, you know, <laughs> really know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the folks that do... Uh, I, th- I think know their material better, you know. I think, but I, of course, that's going to force compromises on them as well. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to look to say, "Well, I'll I'll use this machine, or I'll I'll, I'll use this process mm-hmm. uh, because you know it's faster and cheaper and easier." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that pressure is always on them. It's not on me because mm-hmm. I'm yeah. really trying to get it the way it was done. Uh, so you know that. Yeah. <laughs> that, so I've turned that into an advantage, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just reminds me of we just um, interviewed Nancy Hiller, and oh she yes, was talking, yes. Yeah, she was talking about just kind of the same interplay between choices that you need to make to stay in the market. <laughs> yeah. And how how it's like you know, there are certain considerations you have to make in order to make it work. It's just kind of the nature of the beast, you know, kind of. You bet. Yeah. Figure it out and keep going. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nancy's the real thing. Uh, so she's a yeah. great example of uh, kind of folks I, I greatly admire. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> So then is there anyone outside of your craft that you admire? And this could be like a historical figure or a musician or anything. You know, people do uh, such, all you read in the news is what crappy thing has human being, have human beings done uh, today? Uh, uh, But, you know, when I see dance, uh, athletics, uh, musicians, you know, just the height of what humans can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I admire that so much because they just give me a, a <laughs> faith, not a faith, but a, a respect for humanity, a, a love for humanity uh, back mm-hmm. to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Just say, how can people do that? You know, just the, the folks who can bounce a basketball on their head, turn around, kick it, and you know, make it uh, go through a hoop 50 feet away. (laughs) Wow. You know, I just feel so, uh, humans are great. Uh, People are awesome. It's great, you know. Uh, So I admire all of that. Anybody who can uh, just say, uh, restore our our faith in humanity for for just a moment. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love them all. So in a sense, it would sort of be just, people who are working to like i guess bring beauty into the world but like totally regardless of whatever their medium is yeah absolutely uh just the the people who's uh redeem humanity just for a moment (laughs) (laughs) even if it's just the moment for that ball to swish just for the moment (laughs) exactly uh exactly just say as you skateboarding you just say oh gosh you know what an animal Uh, what a a piece of work is man you know this is great and uh because you know most of the uh the news is is not great about what people are are doing can't argue with that (laughs) (laughs) so so i mean you sort of partially answered this question so maybe i'll pivot into like do you have any hobbies or like what do you like to do outside of woodworking uh, I'm a great uh, nature observer. Uh, mm. So, and particular, and that's a lot of it is where I live, uh, out on the mill dam and and the uh, creek, the river, mm-hmm. uh, the otters, the owls. Oh. They're there every yeah. morning, uh, going for crawfish. Uh, the otters are uh, playing and catching fish, uh, the kingfisher chattering up and down the creek, the, the blue heron, uh, being cranky over territory. Uh, (laughs) just, you know, it's wonderful. It's wonderful how nature, uh, is trying to keep on, uh, in spite of, uh, you know, the, the stress we're putting on it. It's hanging in there. It's still out there. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, admire that. And uh, gosh, you know, I, of all things, uh, music, uh, I, it's, I've mm-hmm. taken up uh, running, ag- running again and mm-hmm. listened to music and uh, just... I was it? They might be giants. Uh, birdhouse in your soul. I was just <laughs> listening to that song 
two weekends ago because yeah. my friend Doug, who is a uh, supporter of the podcast, thanks Doug, um, he <laughs> he had his annual Easter uh, birdhouse build off, and we listened to that song to get pumped before we made our little birdhouses out of scrap. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so you know what an inspiration this is. This is a great song, you know, uh, dealing with every human emotion, but through the you know the viewpoint of a of a so nightlight. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, uh, so you see that kind of creativity uh, in in poetry and songwriting. Uh, just <laughs> it's great. Oh, that, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I love that, yeah. that song too. That's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's just people. You know, say, well, people. People are great. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Oh, At so. times. <laughs> yeah. I'd say just the vast majority. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think the vast majority of people really want to uh, make their lives and the people around them in the world a better place. And I, I think we're sort of yeah. getting um, kind of fed a lot of negativity on purpose. And I, I think a lot, a lot of people really, really just have a lot more love in their hearts than we're led to believe. So how good of you to say that's so grand to say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, Cause I, I, I'll ask the students uh, or I'll, I'll tell them, you know, say, look, folks, you have just made this thing by hand. You have people have done crappy things all day, but you have made the world a better place. There's uh, one more dovetailed box in the world. And <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's it's you have made it better and they're happy. <laughs> There's a online course called uh, or on Coursera, that platform. They do like online free online mm-hmm. classes. And um, there's a class called the the science of wellness, and they have a wonderful part where they just talk about the idea of like just taking that moment to appreciate whatever it is that you've done or have plays a huge role in just your overall sense of well being. So I think ah. it's really important and good that you have the students take that time to just like yeah. appreciate what they did and just ah. be in that moment and enjoy it. Um, cause then that's always a place they can go back to from that workshop too. Oh yeah. So, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Roy, if someone wants to see more of your work, uh, where can they find you? Right next to the ice cream parlor. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm on my way. in front, in front of the bar. Uh, so it's the only woodworking school in America whose back door opens directly into a bar. So you're in uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Uh, look for the city tap. Uh, go through the back door, and you'll come into a woodworking school. That's amazing. Uh, walk into the uh, walk down the street, and uh, next to the ice cream parlor, that's where we are. So it's uh, the Little Woodwright School there. Uh, Right, right here in in North Carolina, and you can see about the classes where it's uh, woodwrightschool.com, and you'll see about the classes and what we're doing. And of course, during uh, these times, we've been doing the Zoom classes and webinars, and they've been great because we have students from 
you know, Australia, Germany, Russia, Japan, oh, yeah. South America, wow. uh, all over Canada, all over the country uh, that couldn't uh, travel, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, and it made it much more affordable <laughs> for mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. So that's they'll find us, yeah. Is that something you would consider doing more of in the future? I've thought a yes. lot about that since so many craftspeople have been doing, you know, different Zoom Zoom workshops, and they seem so useful even in a post-pandemic kind of situation. Yeah, I almost want to say, uh, I mean, yeah, what I should, if I if I was uh, true to my uh, <laughs> alleged beliefs, I would say, <laughs> if you can't walk here get or get here on a bicycle, then do it by Zoom. Uh, so, because it you know it makes no sense uh, for someone to travel uh, across you know half of the, uh, a continent away to uh, learn how to do hand woodworking. Uh, the carbon footprint on that <laughs> probably doesn't doesn't work out. Uh, so yeah, so I think it is a good uh, it, it's it's a good part of things and. Uh, uh, I like, I want to do both is what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I want to do the live classes and continue the online. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah That's really it's cool. great. It's been an interesting time. Well, and on that happy, happy note, uh, thank you so much, Roy, for joining yeah. us on the show. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy and Brian. I appreciate it. What a, what a fun conversation. And, th- and thanks for everybody for hanging with us. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Amy's internet is currently out, so it's just me this time. A huge thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us for this conversation, as well as to everyone who has supported the show. So, a special thanks to Ben, Doug, and Andrew for your contributions, as well as to Michael for joining us on Patreon. Every dollar helps so much, both for us to keep the show going, as well as to maintain our commitment of raising money for craft scholarships. And then, of course, thank you to our sponsors, North Bennett Street School in Massachusetts, the John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina, and the North House Folk School in Minnesota. However, a free way to support the show is just to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps people find the show, and we really, really appreciate the feedback. If you'd like to see more images of guest work or stay up to date on other happenings, please follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast. And if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio on the podcast page. You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi. And, as always, a huge thank you to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for your music and help with production, and to Justin Williams, who writes those poetic tidbits introducing the guest each episode. Um, Coming up, we have an interview with textile artist and natural dyer Porfirio Gutierrez. And so to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here is a brief clip. Thanks so much again for joining us and how, in my opinion, how you could preserve tradition, it is not so much about technicality of what I do. It is more about the value and understand who are you. Mm. If you don't know who, who, who are you, then uh, how you could actually find your passion, right? Yeah. So for me, it's about that is sharing the values, uh, the cultural values, and the values of my work 
to my kids and being exposed to it. They might be able to choose any other medium. They might not be end up being an artist themselves. And it's okay because the tradition or culture, it's evolving all the time. Mm. 